Welcome to Sunshine Studios, home of the Steve Piasecki Podcast. Dead Stripper is the first book in the Steve Piasecki series, but a word of caution before you continue. Dead Stripper contains explicit content, such as strong language and the depiction of graphic sex and violence, including murder. Therefore, this podcast might not be suitable for all audiences. Forewarned is forearmed. And now, into Chapter 16 of Dead Stripper. When we go to the county morgue for an autopsy on the dead stripper, with Dr. Nakamura doing the honors, and he makes a startling discovery. Scene 62. At the same time, at the Delaware County Medical Examiner's Office, Fairacres, Building 19, on Middletown Road, in Lima. The autopsy of Rita Forsyth begins a few minutes after 9 a.m. with Dr. Nakamura presiding. Detectives Bishop and Gerber are observing and a morgue attendant named Bert is assisting. Dr. Nakamura puts on a pair of rubber gloves then turns on a voice-activated recording device. Body, he begins, is that of a well-developed, well-nourished white female appears to be at least 22, perhaps up to 26 years of age. He picks up the report he made at the time of the discovery of the body and glances at it. Estimated time of death is approximately 12 to 18 hours prior to discovery of body. Three articles of jewelry observed on victim's body at time of discovery. Said jewelry since removed. Estimated time of death is approximately 12 to 18 hours prior to discovery of body. Three articles of jewelry observed on victim's body at time of discovery. Said jewelry since removed. He passes the report to the attendant, then he measures the body. Height, 67 inches. He weighs the body. Weight, 124 pounds. He probes the head. No signs of fracture anywhere in skull area. He looks at the face and neck. No visible cuts or bruises on face or neck. His eyes move to the torso. No bondage marks of any kind on upper torso. No tattoos visible. He looks at the arms. No marks on either arm. No tattoos visible. He pauses the recorder, then looks at Detective Gerber. Detective. You are probably more familiar with this milieu than myself. If she's a habitual drug user, how do you explain the lack of needle marks? Her body was her living, so I guess she chose not to deface it. So she must have snorted this shit or smoked it instead of shooting it. I will take that for what it's worth. But when using the drug in that manner, it takes a little longer to take effect. And unfortunately for the addict, the euphoria does not last as long and often leads to binges to sustain the euphoria, which often leads to this. Dr. Nakamura turns the recorder back on, then looks at the victim's hands. No marks on left wrist. Observe edema on right wrist, indicative of grade one sprain. Based on location and extent of swelling, edema caused by twisting of wrist. Signs of a struggle, detect the bishop wonders, possible Dr. Nakamura pauses the recorder. Maybe someone killed her, Detective Gerber suggests, and then tried to make it look like she OD'd. 
While such a scenario is possible, it's extremely remote from what I've observed thus far. But it is a possibility, if you insist, Detective, but let us keep looking. He turns the recorder back on and inspects the genital area. No indications of recent sexual activity seems to rule out any sort of sex crime. I got a question, Detective Gerber says. Dr. Nakamura shuts off the recorder. Yes, Detective. Since her body was submerged for several hours, wouldn't that remove any signs of sexual activity? Very well could, if the sex were consensual. However, if the sex were forceful, then some signs would still be visible, but I do not see any. So where do we stand? Detective Bishop asks. Dr. Nakamura takes a step away from the body. Nothing I have observed today, but he stops abruptly and starts staring at the victim's head. Is something wrong? Detective Bishop asks. Hold on. Looking from this angle, I may have missed something. Like what? Hold on. Dr. Nakamura approaches the victim's head. Let's not be premature. He leans closer, then mumbles to himself as he slowly elevates the cadaver's chin to get a better look underneath. Right there, he points. Where? Detective Bishop asks. Look closely. Dr. Nakamura points at the victim's throat. Both detectives lean forward. Dr. Nakamura turns the recorder back on. Observe faint pattern contusions on anterior portion of neck, both sides of larynx. He probes the area. Possible cartilage damage. He lifts the victim's left eyelid. Observe slight conjunctiva in left eyeball. He releases the left eyelid, then lifts the right eyelid. Also observe slight conjunctiva in right eyeball. He releases the eyelid, then pauses the recorder. Cuff, please, Bert. The morgue attendant moves to a row of cabinets along the near wall and returns moments later with a blood pressure cuff. Dr. Nakamura attaches the cuff to the victim's arm, then restarts the recorder. Attach blood pressure cuff to the upper left arm of victim. He starts squeezing the ball to pump up the cuff. He stops to look at the dial, gives it a few more pumps, then stops again to look. Inflated cup high enough to constrict flow of blood, but not high enough to close the artery entirely. Observe geographic distribution of petechia on left forearm, also on left hand. He shuts off the recorder. What does all that mean? Detective Bishop asked. Possible symptoms of manual strangulation. Why didn't you see them before? Detective Gerber asked. Such symptoms are not always apparent upon discovery of the body. And if the victim were unconscious due to intoxication or the ingestion of an opioid, as we believe happened in this case, not much force would be necessary to affect the lethal strangulation. Therefore, there was no superficial damage to observe at the time of discovery of the body. So what changed, Detective Gerber asked. The skin dried somewhat, became more transparent which allowed the marks to become visible. Yet the marks are still so faint, I almost missed them. Hold on a second, Detective Gerber says. Let me get this straight. Are you now saying she was strangled? To be perfectly accurate, Detective, I am not saying anything. Instead, I am theorizing that the victim might have been strangled. 
So how do you prove it one way or the other? There is only one way to be certain. Time to cut. Bert, the attendant walks over to a workstation. He attaches a new rotary blade to the autopsy saw, then returns and hands the saw to Dr. Nakamura. Dr. Nakamura turns on the recorder and describes the process as he goes. He steps up the left side of the body and uses the saw to make a deep incision just under the left shoulder. He cuts all the way to the top of the left breast, then carefully curves around the inside of the breast and stops cutting at the breastbone. Then he moves to the right side of the body and makes a deep incision just under the right shoulder. He cuts all the way to the top of the right breast, then carefully curves around the side of the breast and stops cutting at the intersection with the first cut. Scalpel. Bert takes the saw, then hands him a scalpel. Dr. Nakamura peels back the skin, some muscle tissue, and some soft tissue. He takes hold of the large chest flap he just created, then pulls it up over the victim's face to expose the rib cage and throat area. Then he pauses the recorder. Here comes the tricky part. I must now remove the larynx, the thyroid bone, and the tongue while keeping them all conjoined, as if they were a single body part. Several minutes of careful cutting removes all three items in one piece and exposes the laryngeal skeleton. He looks at the area, probes gently, then turns the recorder back on. Observes several small cartilage fractures surrounding throat, indicating cause of death to be manual strangulation. He turns off the recorder. So someone killed her after all, Detective Gerber concludes. So it would seem, Detective. So are you changing the cause of death, Detective Bishop asked. The official cause of death is now homicide by means of manual strangulation. And that's the end of Chapter 17. Join us next time for Chapter 18 when we go to Steve's apartment and find out whether or not he succeeded with the editor in New York City. Then Jess joins him for a roll in the sack. But once again comes an ominous pounding on his door.